Well, good morning. Am I on? You guys hear me okay? Yeah? Good. Um, you guys are like the few, the proud, the remaining people who have to go to chapel. Is that what this is? Right? <laughs> it's really good to see you all here this morning, whether you're here because you have to be or because you want to be. Um, I'm really glad to see you all. I hope you had a nice break. I hope you got some rest and some good time with family and friends. And I really hope you watched a lot of World Cup soccer. Yeah. Yes, right? Is anybody? Good. Um, if, you want, if you want to talk World Cup, just come on by. I would love to talk with you about that. Um, we watched it a, lot of, a lot of soccer over the break. Um, well, several days before Thanksgiving, our youngest son um, came, in to, came up to me when I was cooking in the kitchen. And he was like, Mom, I am so excited for Thanksgiving. And I was, all, I was like, yes. I love Thanksgiving. So I was like, me too, buddy. I was like, what are you excited about? And he did not miss a beat. He was like, because after Thanksgiving is Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yeah. <laughs> right? It is, it's funny now, but like that was definitely a moment of parent fail. Okay? I was like, oh my word. We need to teach our children about contentment and gratitude. Right? Isn't it ironic that we have a whole holiday set aside for reflecting and being thankful for the things that we have, and yet we spend most of our time now thinking about all the things that we don't have on this holiday, right? So I was getting ready in my head to have this whole conversation with our little son about contentment and gratitude, and then I had this like mirror moment. Um, and this happens a lot in parenting, actually. It's when you like, you're getting ready to say something because you see your child's sin or like skewed perspective super clearly, and then the Holy Spirit stops you in your tracks because you're like, oh wait, <laughs> that's just a mirror of my own heart. And in that moment with my son, it was exactly that. It was such a mirror moment for me of my own discontent heart. So I've been reflecting on contentment, and I just want to spend some time today reflecting on that with y'all. I think often when we think about contentment, we tend to focus sort of on all the material stuff, right? Like what we don't have and what we do have. Um, and while North American Christianity, I really do think it is plagued by materialism, and we need to talk about that, I actually want to expand our conversation about contentment just a little bit. Um, you may not actually struggle with discontentment regarding the stuff that you own. I actually think you guys are a very thoughtful and, and grateful bunch of people, and I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. But I would, I would bet <laughs> that discontentment sort of bubbles up in other areas of our lives. Um, a good diagnosis for this is simply to just pay attention to what happens in our hearts when we just don't get what we want. That is usually an effective way to identify the places where we may struggle to be content. It could be relational discontentment. Um, maybe you're not dating and you wish you were, or maybe you're dating someone that you're not sure is awesome, or maybe you have friends that don't really get you, or family, maybe time with family is really hard and that makes you discontent. Maybe, maybe you um, struggle with situational contentment, right? Your grades are not where you wish they were. You're not getting the playing time that you wish or you think you should get. Um, you aren't maybe popular or sought out. You don't feel valued. You feel overlooked. Your contributions aren't recognized. It could be situational discontentment. It could be physical 
discontentment, right? Maybe you just struggle with your body, the way that it looks, the way that it doesn't work, the way that it's supposed to, the lack of energy or the chronic illness or the diagnoses that you struggle with. I don't know your story, but I would guess that there are some place in our lives where we struggle with discontentment. Maybe it's spiritual discontentment. I think that's a real thing too. You sort of feel like you've been keeping your end of the bargain with God, but you're not really sure that he's keeping his, right? Or you read your Bible and it just isn't giving you the feeling that you think you should have when you read it. Or maybe you feel like your prayers are just like bouncing off the ceiling and not going anywhere. It's hard to be content. It really is hard to be content. And I think this discontentment has actually plagued us from the minute that sin slithered into the garden, right? Because what was Satan's question to Eve? Remember? Did God really say? Like, he was tempting her to think that God was withholding something from her and that she could be so much more than she currently was, right? It was breeding and this planting this bitter seed of discontentment. And now, as a result, I actually think that part of our human experience as the daughters and the sons of Eve is a struggle with discontentment, right? And this discontentment sort of provides a fertile soil for other things to grow. Anger, right? When we don't get what we want, we become angry. Or worry. When we are discontent, we grow anxious, and restless, and we're kind of always looking around to make sure that we're not missing out on something better. Or strife. When we are not content, we might get jealous of the things that other people have. And that, that creates competitive friendships. It sort of breeds gossip, right? But there is some good news. <laughs> there is a better way. The way of contentment. And 1 Timothy 6, 6 tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And Philippians 4, 12, it refers to contentment as sort of a secret, but a thing that can be learned, a secret that can be learned. So for the rest of our time together, I just want to talk about contentment as a way forward for us. I want to talk about what it is not. I want to talk about what it is, and I want to talk about how to cultivate contentment in our lives, especially right now during this Advent season. So first, contentment is not a carefree existence. Um, I don't know about you, but when I hear contentment, my mind's eye sort of paints this picture that would involve probably a hammock and a beautiful lake and temps in like the mid-60s um, with my children like skipping rocks totally, like, without any fighting, um, and my husband maybe right next to me reading a great book, right? That's idyllic, but it's not contentment. That is not the biblical picture of contentment that we, we see there. So Jesus, remember, he said that in this world, what? We will have trouble. So contentment cannot mean just a carefree existence. Contentment does not mean conflict-free life or anxiety-free life. Um, it is not trouble-free. Contentment, though, is also not stoicism. Contentment is not stoicism. So I know we all agree with this, we, but, but hear me. Sometimes I think that when we face hard things, the hard things that life just kind of throws at us, 
we actually respond more like Stoics than we do Christians. And what I mean is this, we kind of, we tighten our jaw and we like set our shoulders and we refuse to complain. And we qualify that inner resolve as contentment. But I think true contentment, a biblical understanding of contentment, it actually provides for us a better way, a more human way of dealing with the hard things that life throws at us. It does not minimize the struggle or dilute the pain. Um, Contentment does not also ignore the blessings or kind of sweep the victories under the rug. Rather, I think biblical contentment embraces both sorrow and joy, darkness and light, the sad and the happy, and it's all of those things in like this perfect tension. Contentment actually invites our emotion, our full emotion, and our raw emotion. And then it kind of holds it there for us, refusing to let us choose one aspect of life's experience over the other. I referred to this passage a minute ago, but listen to the pendulum swing in Paul's circumstances in Philippians 4. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Stoicism is this setting of your jaw and like putting on a good face as you pretend that, pretend that everything is okay. That is not contentment. Next, contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. This can be hard to decipher sometimes because I think it's easy for us to sort of just like throw in the towel when things are hard and maybe like accept them as the new normal and then get lazy, right? Or we excuse our laziness and our our lack of perseverance and diligence as contentment. It's sort of this idea of like we can't change it, so we just like give in, sit back, maybe we distract ourselves, maybe we numb. This is not contentment. Instead, biblical contentment, it has an edge to it. It actually makes room for improvement, reconciliation, sanctification, and even godly ambition, which is a whole nother chapel talk. So if contentment is not a conflict-free existence, it is not this like dogged determination to stay positive when life is hard, and contentment is, a not, is not a passive um, who cares attitude, then what is contentment? The word actually used in the New Testament is interesting um, because it's not a very common word. It only appears like two or three times in the, the research I was doing. Um, and it, it basically takes two Greek words and it translates as self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. That's strange to me. I'm like, oh, okay, self-sufficient. Isn't that what we're, not, what we're not supposed to be, right, is self-sufficient? But Paul actually clarifies this for us um, with a verse that we know really well, and I would say we probably use out of context a lot, right? Philippians 4.13. So listen to that verse in the context of what I read earlier. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is using a Greek word that means literally self-sufficiency. But he is making a point here. His self-sufficiency is not a result of resoluteness or determination or of minimizing the hard and ignoring the good. Rather, Paul is recognizing that his very being, who he actually is to his core, possesses all that he needs through the indwelling Christ. In other words, if we have Jesus, we lack nothing. Or, to put it even another way, if we are doing life with Jesus, we have everything that we need to live a truly sufficient life. In this sense, contentment is directly tied to our union with Christ. And so it seems that contentment maybe is more about who we are than about how we feel. Because we are united to Christ, regardless of what the, the world throws at us, both good and bad, the core of who we are is grounded in the reality that we belong to Jesus and he belongs to us. When life is hard, we should cry and we should weep and we should ask God to change it and to take it away. That is okay, and we should seek comfort in the body of Christ. But we are not shaken in our core because we know that Jesus is in us and we are in him. When life is full of joy, we should laugh and we should celebrate and we should give thanks and we should invite others into the party, right? But even then, the very core of who we are is not defined by those moments because Jesus is in us and we are in him. When we have little, when we have a lot, when our bodies are strong, when our bodies are weak, when our relationships are fulfilling, when our relationships are really hard, we know the secret to finding satisfaction. We know the secret to experiencing sufficiency. Jesus is in us, and we are in him. This only makes sense, though, when we take a quick second to recognize that the triune God is the source of all things, all right? Because if he wasn't, this wouldn't make any sense, right? Because he is the source of everything, then, when we are united to him through the Spirit of Jesus, we are actually, like, plugged in to this unending, generous, and abundant source, right? We just put up a bunch of Christmas lights at our house because I love them. You have to plug them in to make them work, right? We are plugged into the source of all things through the Spirit who indwells us and through our union with Christ. By very definition, we are connected to the self-sufficient one who lacks nothing. That's what it means to be united to Christ. All that he has is ours. And we cannot be shaken from this source. That's amazing. And the only reason that we are not shaken from this source is not because we are just doing a really good job of hanging on tight, but because he loves us and he hangs on to us. And because he loves us, he does not withhold any good thing from us. 
anything that we receive, we know is for our good and because he loves us. This actually, I think, brings us to Advent. This time, whoa, this time of year when we reflect on Emmanuel, right? God with us. Jesus, the word made flesh, is the most concrete evidence we have that God does not withhold anything from us that we need. Even at great cost, God gave. And God is not a stingy giver. <laughs> he gave his one and only precious son so that we could have what we need, which is eternal and true life with him. This is the secret of contentment. This is the secret of contentment. So, how do we cultivate contentment in our lives? I'm, I'm sure that this is not an exhaustive list at all. You guys probably have other great ideas, but here are just a few that I've thought about over the last couple weeks. Three words, walk, rest, and wait. So first, walk with Jesus. Cultivate contentment by doing life with Jesus. Um, this seems cliche, but there really is nothing more true. When we do life with Jesus, when we talk to him and we invite him into our daily lives, we begin to experience this source of deep, deep love for us. And that love, his love, actually opens our eyes to better see the abundant generosity of God all around us. We see, too, that he is trustworthy, right? And a content heart, I think, is a heart that trusts God. Which kind of brings me to the second thing. Rest. Rest in Jesus. Cultivate contentment by resting in him. In this sense, I actually think that contentment and surrender are close cousins. We cannot rest when we feel like we must maintain control. And sometimes I think discontentment sort of gets its foot in the door of our hearts when we are vying to be the master of our own destiny. We grow discontent when we realize that we do not have what we want. <laughs> Money, relationships, security, power, authority, recognition, whatever it is for you, right? But when we rest in Jesus, we are actually leaning into what Dr. Capic says is creatureliness, right? We're leaning into that and we're leaning into our limitations and leaning into our finitude. And we're kind of exhaling into the one who does sit on the throne and who does have power, and who does have authority. We receive then the gifts that he has given us. Resting actually requires us to stop controlling and to start receiving, which helps us be content. We start to realize all the gifts that God has given to us, the people, the abilities, the opportunities, the backgrounds, even our bodies. All of that, and all of the complex, good, and hard aspects of those gifts, we receive them from God. And, the, and then we rest in the fact that he is abundantly good and that he abundantly loves us. Third, wait on Jesus, which again brings me back to this season of Advent. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? We are remembering the first coming of Christ, um, Jesus has come, but we are still most definitely in this time of redemptive history waiting on him to come. 
We are not watching and waiting for the birth of Jesus, but we are watching and waiting for the return of Jesus. We are living in this already not yet of the kingdom. And this is what that means for our conversation about contentment. There is a holy discontentment that we will always feel on this side of Christ's return. A discontentment that acknowledges the fact that we are not yet home. That things are not the way they are supposed to be, right? That death and sin and darkness and sorrow are actually intruders that have no place in God's kingdom. And we feel this discontent because we are still waiting for shalom, right? We were actually created for something different. So we press into this waiting by mourning the darkness, but also by watching for the light. We wait with both lament and joy, both of them, secure in the reality that we belong to Jesus and he belongs to us. And he is coming back to get us soon, (laughs) sooner than we might even know. And that then we will experience when we are with him forever, we will experience complete contentment and the rest that our souls are truly longing for. So, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are waiting. We are waiting for your return when you will make all of the sad things come untrue. But Father, in the meantime, would you help us to remember that we have everything we need because you have given us Jesus and he indwells us through his spirit and that we are united to you. Lord, help us to trust, help us to rest and help us to wait. Help us to walk with you as we wait. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.